Hello there, welcome into another episode of the Low Limit Cash Games Podcast, a podcast where we talk exclusively about playing and beating the lowest limit stakes poker that you can play. Maybe one two no limit at your local card room. Maybe you're playing in a 50 cent a dollar home game. I created this podcast just for you. I continue to create episodes of the podcast just for you. And then I want to step further and created a Patreon, a full-blown training, learn how to crush one two one three no limit for you. So a uh, couple of quick notes. Uh, been doing this podcast every Sunday for a long time. Really considered cutting back this year. It's going to cut it back to two episodes a month, maybe one. And I said, you know what? I'll give folks an ch- opportunity to let me know if they appreciate it and want it and maybe offset some of my time monetarily. So not asking for a fortune for that. Not even asking for it. You don't have to do it. But a lot of folks have. I think we're up to like uh, eight. 18 or 20 people now have uh, said, sure, I'll pay five bucks a month. I'm crazy enough to pay for a free podcast because I want you to keep doing it. If you're one of those people and you love seeing this thing show up every Sunday and it helps your game and you want to help ensure that I keep doing it every Sunday, um, head on over to lowlimitcashgames.com, lowlimitcashgames.com, and you can just become a fan of the podcast. It's five bucks. Uh, if you want to just go ahead and throw in for a whole year, it's like $58. It's still super cheap. Like you can't even buy a, a training site for that for a month, any of these other training sites. So I'm throwing that out there for you. It's not required, but um, if you're so inclined, uh, take advantage of it. Um, if you do that in exchange, I'll throw you something a little extra. You'll get a bonus episode that the, the Folks who just listen for free don't get, and it always comes in the form of a part two. So today we're going to be talking about important questions you have to ask yourself when you're in a hand at a poker table that helps you maximize your profits, lose the least. So it's a part two. So you're going to get to hear the first part of it today for free. And then the part two, which dives a little bit deeper and gets a little bit more in the nitty gritty will only be available to the folks who do the $5 a month on Patreon. So uh, that's my way of giving back to you guys who do step up. So again, lowlimitcashgames.com. And while you're over there, maybe you just want to sign up for the full blown. It's 25 bucks. You can do that. Uh, if there's slots available, keep it limited. You have to check and see. And then if you want some one-on-one time with me and really get in there, I plan on doing a promo soon where you hear people that I actually do one-on-ones with talk about how much their game has changed in only like one week or two weeks or a month of, you know, just a couple times talking to me. It's crazy results that some folks get. Um, but again, that's very limited, may not be a slot, but you can keep a check on it. And I think that's about enough of that, right? I should just remind you to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and remind you to follow me on social media because that's how you can ask me questions, complain, uh, give me kudos, whatever you want to do. I like hearing all the messages over there. Uh, Low Limit Cash Games podcast on Instagram and Facebook. So today's episode, once again, is my response to one of you guys. Braden sent me a question talking about, in many episodes of the podcast, you talk about different questions you should ask yourself when in the game. Uh, these questions have helped my game a ton. I find myself asking them when I'm involved in a hand and they have helped me. Uh, my question to you is, do you have any other questions you should be asking yourself during a hand? Uh, maybe even do an entire episode about it. Thank you so much. Well, Braden, ask and you shall receive, my friend. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Questions that you should be asking yourself while you are in a hand. 
So the first question you should ask yourself is how good is the hand I have based on my position and the action that has already occurred? So the mistake the bad one-two players play, novices, people are just there to have fun. They just look down at their hand and go, well, this could make a flush, you know, or, you know, I got two face cards here, or, I mean, that's as far as they think about it. They don't think about that, what position they're in, and they certainly don't think about the value of their hand based on action that's already occurred. So uh, I'll just give you a couple quick examples. Um, let's say that you're under the gun one, so you're going to be second to act, and you have jack-10 of diamonds. You have jack-10 of suited, which is a beautiful hand. And under the gun one, in a one-two game, under the gun one raises to $15. Um, well, your hand's not good enough to call here, right? One, the raise size is pretty big. Two, your hand's not good enough to call. It's, well, first of all, it's, you can't really raise it. Why can't you raise it? Well, based off the size and the action that's occurred already, that's an under the gun raiser. That's the first thing you think about. The second thing that you think about is, can I raise, and given on the, given the strength of my hand, which is jack high, and given the action that's occurred, an under-the-gun raiser making it 15, um, we for sure can't raise uh, for two reasons. One, we have that information. We have more information, though, right? Let's assume we're playing nine-handed. There's still seven people left to act. Seven people who could wake up with aces, kings, queens, jacks, tens, ace king, ace queen, ace jack, ace ten. Uh, so many hands that have us in such bad shape. Um, still seven of those people that could still wake up with those hands. So we for sure can't raise. And then we can't really call either because if we call, now we're just inviting a whole slew of people to call. So now that they've raised and I've called, you know, somebody with the nine, eight suit is going to want to call. And then somebody with the King queen off is going to want to call. And then somebody that's got the ace Jack off or ace 10 is going to want to call. And somebody with pocket fives is going to want to call. And then the next thing you know, we're going six ways to a flop and we're second to act. We're out of position to everybody. And if we don't hit the perfect flop, we can't do anything. So um, if you ask yourself these questions, the answer with about what to do with your hand will become much clearer. Now, for sure, you should be investing some time looking at ranges. You need to have a general concept of what a good under-the-gun range, what a good under-the-gun one range is, what a good you know middle position range is, what a good hijack, cutoff button range is. Um, look, I'm not saying you have to memorize them, but you need to have some kind of general understanding of what hands are okay up front and what hands are okay later. So now let's take this jack 10 suited and we're going to move it to you have it on the button now. Same hand. See, this is why asking these questions is important because it's the same hand. And this is the way low limit players that don't win think. It's like jack 10 suited. It's a pretty hand. I play it. I play it under the gun one to a raise. Uh, I raise it sometimes, blah, blah, blah. It's just a good hand. We just play it. Whereas if they had asked herself, um, how good is my hand based on my position and the action has already occurred, they would clearly see they should fold it under the gun one of that circumstances. But now we're on the button and maybe there's been a limper and then it gets around to either the hijack or the cutoff. And so they're late position and then they raise it. Well, now 
We have a couple of options. So they're late. They don't have to have a great hand. They could be raising with ace nine. They could be raising with king ten. They could be raising with king nine suited. They could be raising with queen nine, jack nine. People raise all kinds of stuff late. Well, now suddenly, here's a couple of things. So based on the action that's already occurred, well, it's a late position raiser. They don't necessarily have to have great cards. Two, uh, what's my position? Well, I have the best position. I'm last to act on all betting rounds after the flop because I have the button. So that's huge. That allows me to steal some pots when I don't hit, plus I can hit, all these things. So now based on that, you have two options available to you. You can call or you could raise. With Jack-10 suited, I'd be inclined to do some of each. Mostly raising, I think, uh, but also calling sometimes. So, same hand, asking the right questions, gives you two different answers. How good is my hand based on my position and the action that has already occurred? All right, number two question to ask. Why am I betting, and I throw in here, or checking, but why am I betting or checking? And if I'm betting, what size best accomplishes this goal? So why am I betting? What is my goal here? And if I'm betting, what size best accomplishes the goal? So let's say you have a value hand. Let's say you flop top set. Let's say you flop a set of queens on queen, queen, ten, five. And you decided to bet. So why am I betting? Well, because I have a monster. <laughs> That's why I'm betting. I want to build a pot. I want to get some money in there. Second question. What bet size best accomplishes this goal of getting people to call me, right? Your goal is to get people to call you. You have a monster. Well, you have top set. Doesn't leave a lot of queens, so probably no top pairs. So that means your best case scenario is getting somebody with, what did I say it was? Queen, queen eight, five or something. Well, we need like somebody with an eight to call us. We need somebody with pocket nines to call us. Uh, we need somebody with nine, 10 or jack 10 that has a gut shot to call us. We need somebody with a worse hand to call us. So if I bet 80% pot, am I likely to get called by those hands? No. What if I bet third pot? Can I get called by those hands? Yeah, maybe. Now we're getting better. What if I bet quarter pot? So that's very small. Could maybe some of those hands call me? Yeah, probably. So now by asking, you know, if I'm betting, why am I betting? We know our reason. We want to get called by people. We have a monster. We want to get called. Now we ask ourselves, what's the bet size that accomplishes this? And based on the board and our hand and what hands are available that can call, we arrive at we have to bet small here. Um, so the same thought process works for bluffs. Let's say, let's say the, you know, the board is like, um, Jack 10, eight with two diamonds, right? Jack 10, eight with two diamonds. And you have, I don't know, I listen, I'm not even going to mention what your hand is. You've just decided to bluff on Jack 10, eight with two diamonds. And there's two other players in the pot with you. So what am I, why am I betting? Well, I'm betting to get people to fold. I'm bluffing. I want them to fold. All right. If I'm doing that, what size best accomplishes this? Well, against two other players on Jack 10 8, there's so many Jacks, Jack X that called, so many 10 X that called, 
Then you got the queen king that called. And then you also have the queen nine that suited as it called. And then you also have the, uh, what was it? Uh, was it jack 10, eight. Then you also have the, just the nines that are open-ended pocket nines, ace nine, king nines. Um, then you have, uh, I mean, there's just so many, there's so many hands that are going to continue, right? This board smacks a ton of hands that your opponents would have called you with preflop. Well, if you're going to get them to fold, you're going to have to bet big, right? Because they connected. And you have to ask yourself, wow, can I even bet big enough to get them to fold? So now that you ask these questions, why am I betting? Well, it's to get people to fold because I'm bluffing it too. What betting size best accomplishes this? And then you look at the board and you're like, holy cow, there's so many possible hands that will continue here. I'd have to bet a normalcy big, which is a huge risk. You know what? Put on the brakes. Maybe I should just check. <laughs> so asking these questions will lead you to the right answer. A majority of the time, but you have to think them through. All right, next question you can ask. What hands can my opponent have given the action thus far? What hands can my opponent have given the action thus far? Let's say you raised and got called by somebody. Now, this person can, they can't have aces or kings. Probably not queens. Probably not ace king. So they could have ace queen, they could have pocket nines, pocket fives, pocket fours, blah, blah, blah. Let's say the the flop now comes. Um, let's say the flop comes a king, king five, king five, four, king five, four. And uh, I don't know, we'll say you have king, queen. You bet, and they call you. So now you have to ask the question, same question you asked preflop, then you have to ask it again. What hands can my opponent have now, given the action just far? Well, now that they called you preflop, and then you have a king 5-4 board, and you bet and they called, well, they don't have pocket threes or pocket deuces anymore. We can throw that out. With a king high flop and you being a pre-flop raiser, are they going to call you with pocket sixes or pocket sevens or pocket eights? I mean, maybe. It seems unlikely, though. Uh, would they call you with pocket fives or pocket fours flopping a set? Well, a lot of players would. Would they call you with worse kings? So, first of all, do they have ace-king? Well, we already know from pre-flop they don't have ace-king. We have king-queen, and the flop comes king high. So they don't have ace-king because of preflop. Now, now that we've bet the flop and they called us, can they have kings? Well, sure, they can still have, they can have the same hand we have king-queen. That's, that's the least likely because there's so many cards removed. They can have king-jack, king-10, king-9, something like that. Uh, they also, people would float you with pocket 10s, pocket 9s maybe, maybe pocket 8s, but the lower you get, the less likely they'll call. And so you've now better defined the range, right? And then let's say that the turn comes, uh, let's say the turn comes like a 10, right? So now it's king 10, 5, 4. They've called you on the flop. And now you bet on the turn. 
right? And you have top pair with great kickers. So you're betting big, 60, 70, 80% pot. And you bet. And then they raise you. They raise you like three or four times what you bet. And you bet big. All right. What hands can my opponent have given the action thus far? So we've eliminated a lot of hands based on their preflop call. Then on the flop, they called us. We eliminated a lot of hands that they couldn't have, which left them with even less hands. Now we've bet on the turn. And then they and we bet a nice big size. And now they've raised us. What hands can do this on a King 10 5 4 board? Well, what would have called us on the flop? King 10 would have called us on the flop. Now, some people go, well, they could have turned open ended and they're bluffing me with a Jack Queen. Really? You have to ask yourself on the flop, what hands can my opponent have given the action this far when they call you? When they call you on a Queen, on a King 5 4 flop, they don't have Queen Jack anymore. They're just folding that. So when you get to the turn and the 10 comes, you can't delude yourself into thinking they turned open in and they're bluff raising it. They just don't have queen jack, right? What hands can my opponent have given the action just thus far? So now what can call you? Or what can raise you? Uh, king 10 could raise you. That's a hand that A would have called the flop. So on the flop, what hands can my opponent have? King 10 was one of the hands. Turn, 10 comes. You bet they raise you. King 10 is still in there. Um, you bet they called on the flop. Uh, they flop a set of fives. Can they just call us on the flop with a set of fives? Yes. Now we've got raised on the turn. So they could have called flop with a set of fives, and now they could definitely raise on the turn with a set of fives. Okay, they can have a set of fives. Uh, well, they've called the flop with a set of fives. Yeah, a lot of the times players will just call the flop with a, or fours, I mean, with a set of fours, yeah. Now we've got the turn big and they're raising us. Now give me the action. What hands can they have? Well, set of fours is still in there. Uh, and then I guess the last one would be a five four, some kind of a five four hand, uh, five four suited. You know, if it's a player that you've deemed will play five four suited pre, that goes back to pre flop. You need to know your player. When you raised and they called, if you said, yep, they for sure are calling suited connectors all the way down to douche three, man. This guy's nuts. He loves the suited connectors. Well, you'd have four or five. Would he have just called the flop with a four or five? Um, I would say that's less likely than sets of five, sets of fours, because four or five can get outdrawn so easily. They generally tend to raise those bottom two pairs more. So can he still have them? Yeah. But is it as possible he has them as a sets of four, sets of fives, and king ten? No. But still could be a five four that's now raising. So we have to at least give him some credit for five four. Now, what hands can my opponent have given the action just far? So for us to decide to call, we now have to have some hands that would be here, given the pre-flop action, can he have them? Given the flop action, we bet he calls, we go, can he have them? Now given the turn, we bet, and he raises, and now we have to ask, can he have them? Are any of those hands that he can have here at this point, given the action just far, thus far, bluffs? Because I can only see one bluff, and it's Queen Jack. Oh, by the way, I left out pocket tens. Opponents would, de most opponents would definitely call pre-flop with pocket tens. Uh, would probably float you one street with, with only one overcard. Tens is one of those pairs that would probably float. So can he have sets of tens? Yeah, he also has that. So, man, when we get raised here on the turn, I know we have king-queen. And you're like, well, I got king-queen. 
uh, unless you have some crazy other reason to call, like that this person is an absolute maniac that has no sense whatsoever. I think we've asked questions and got answers that have led us to the decision that this is not even that difficult of a fold. How do we arrive at that decision so easily? Well, we kept asking the same question on every street. What hand can my opponent have now, given the action just far? And every time there's a new street, new action, new result, you get to narrow those hands down to a smaller and smaller display of hands or selection of hands. Um, I'm going to give you one more. I was going to leave this one off. I was going to leave this one off for part two, but I think I'm going to throw it in here. So you guys are getting a little bonus today because I was going to save this for part two only over on Patreon, only for the folks who become fans of the pod for five bucks a month. But I'm going to throw it in here. I'm going to be generous. I'm going to be giving today because I love to give. I love to help. Here's a great question to ask. If I bet here, will I have to fold if I get raised? If I bet here, will I have to fold if I get raised? Now, what you'll find is, is that the smaller the pot is, the smaller your bet is, the less often the answer to that is yes. Because you can sometimes call with some uh, some hands when the when the pot's not that big, and so you your bet isn't all that big, and then that means their raising isn't all that big. And maybe you want to float with a top pair. Or maybe you want to float with, uh, I don't know, two overs and a back door or some, some, some kind of a hand you might decide to float. Um, not float, but stab at, right? So it's a, you know, you don't have a monster top pair, but you have top pair good kicker and you've decided to bet because I don't, maybe your head's up. Uh, you're, you were in position. It was checked to you. There's many reasons you would bet. And, she don't have a great hand. So, you know, top pair bad kicker is, you know, that doesn't probably fit in this category that much, but it could sometimes for sure. But more likely is like you had two overs and a back door, right? So, you know, you had king, queen of spades and the flop came, you know, nine, nine, five deuce with one spade. So you have two overs and a back door spade draw and they check to you and you're like, yeah, this hand's good enough to take a stab and try to take it down here on the flop. Um, if if you're deciding if you can do that with your hand, right? You're like, wow, I could take a stab here. And you ask yourself the question, if I bet here and they raise me, do I have to fold? If the answer is yes, then just check. Try to realize your equity. Try to see if you can catch the queen, king for free, the queen for free, or maybe a spade for free that improves you to uh, the backdoor flush being a full bone flush draw along with your two overs. You know, something that will improve your equity or give you your hand. Right, because that's the worst thing that could happen is for you to have a fair amount of equity in the hand. You bet you get raised off of it, so you know that's a good spot for that. But there's there's other spots. I'm just using that particular spot as an example. But um, you know that's when the pot is relatively small and bets and raise sizes would be relatively small. The later you get in the hand, or the bigger the pot is, and the, the thus the bigger the bet sizes are, and so it's bigger percentages of your stack, more at risk, etc the more important this question becomes. If I bet here and they raise me, do I have to fold? Um, so obviously if you're betting at this point, you probably have a decent hand, right? 
maybe you have a good hand, you know, maybe you have a pretty good hand that you're pretty sure is good. Uh, but your opponent has shown, you know, the way that they've called, called, called is represents some amount of strength that could have you behind, right? So you have a hand that could very well be ahead, but it's a marginal hand and you're deciding to go for another street of value. And, you know, a card comes on the turn that might complete some two pairs, might complete, you know, a flush, might complete a straight, might, it might complete some things, right? Um, you know, that's a good example. There's many other examples. I can't go through them all because we're limited on time in the podcast, but many examples of times where this comes up and you ask yourself, if I bet here and they raise me, do I have to fold? If the answer is yes, then you just, just don't, you just don't bet. And that's a real simple question that can get you out of a jam a lot of times. So I hope those questions have been helpful for, to you. I appreciate you subscribing so you don't miss an episode. I appreciate all the comments. I appreciate the reviews. Look, if you just for whatever reason can't do the $5, but you still want to support me and you still want to say, yeah, I, you know, I just can't see doing $5 because I'm dirt poor or something. I don't know what your situation may be. Um, but I'd like to help you. A review on Apple Podcasts would be amazing. Uh, I was looking at some of the other quote-unquote poker-type podcasts out there, and I have to say that you guys have just, as far as reviews and feedback goes, like you're one of the reasons that we rank in the top three or four or five every time somebody searches for poker or poker strategy or no limit holding or whatever. It's because of the reviews, so that would help a lot. Um. So for sure, consider that. I appreciate guys so much. I really do. Uh, I never expected this podcast to become as big as it's become. Uh, never expected to have a Patreon site. We have full-blown training over there, and it's the cheapest you'll find. Uh, we only focus on helping you become a one-two crusher. That's all I do. I'm not trying to teach you how to beat 510 or 1020 or 2550 or some of the stuff you see on these other training sites. Um a couple of these training sites recently had Black Friday deals, right? So I signed up for them for a month. And I kind of do that every year just to see what's going on. And I get over there. And this isn't a knock at them because they have great material. I'm, well, I'm not going to say all of them do. I'm not going to call any by names. But the two that I checked out had great material. And they were people that are respected and I respect them. Um, and they do great stuff. And they do a lot for the community, including lots of free stuff, right, in terms of podcasting and YouTube videos and stuff. So all that stuff, but you get to their website, their training site, and you pay the, whatever it is, 50 bucks a month or 60 bucks a month. It's a lot of money. Um, and you know, you look at the last, like the last five videos they posted. That was the first thing I did. I went to the video section, and looked at the last five videos that were posted and not one single one of those videos had anything to do with one, two or one, three, no limit. It was all, 510 no limit or here I was playing a $100, $200 game or something. I'm like, why would a 1-2 no limit player who has been losing and just wants to beat their local 1-2 game subscribe to this? What are they going to get from it? You're talking about all these advanced concepts and things that are just way beyond anything that 1-2 player one is capable of learning at this point because they haven't developed that much. But two should never even care about learning because it's irrelevant in the 1-2 game. So I'm not knocking the sites. They're amazing sites. They have amazing content. And one day after you're crushing one, two, for sure, moving on up to somebody that teaches you how to beat 510 is important. Uh, but that's why I created the Patreon. I just want to help you crush one, two. 
that's what you're looking for. Check us out. Uh, LowLimitCashGames.com is the way to get over there. LowLimitCashGames.com. Now, the people who have stepped up and become fans of the podcast for five bucks a month, treat for you. You're going to get a part two to this. It'll be posted over on Patreon, and you'll only you'll get to listen to it along with my other patrons. They get to listen to. But uh, folks that listen to the free podcast, unfortunately, will miss out on that. But I appreciate all of you guys. I know I got a little bit, I might have got a little bit emotional there thinking about it. But I think about the journey of the pod and how much it's grown and uh, what an experience it's been. It's been nothing but good for me. It's helped me improve my game. It's caused me to be more serious, more motivated, more studied. Um, and then we've helped a lot of people get better at their game along the way. It's just been fantastic. So I just wanted to take a second and say thanks, genuinely say thanks. Um, so visit us, lowlimpcashgames.com, subscribe here so you never miss a free episode. And by all means, follow me on social media and shoot me a message anytime you like. Uh, Low Limit Cash Games podcast on Instagram or Facebook. We'll talk to you next time, guys. Appreciate you so much.